Hello, my praying people. I hope that you, if you have school-age children in your home, I hope that you're enjoying these fierce first few days of school as much as I am. I don't have to run away and seek out a quiet place to do things like record a podcast. (laughs) So it's kind of fun having a quiet house in the mornings. And um, I think even the kids are ready to go back to school at this time of year. I want to remind you that I did a whole series on back to school last year in 2021. And you can look back in my previous episodes and check those out. I had the distinct opportunity to interview some amazing people during that series, that back to school series. And so I encourage you to go listen to those. I want to already um, prick your mind and remind you that there are a couple of really cool prayer emphases that happen in September related to our schools. And one is the See You at the Pole. Last year, I got to talk with the guy that leads the whole See You at the Pole ministry and promote that across the nation. And just a powerful ministry for your kids to be involved in, especially middle schoolers and high schoolers. Also, there's another kind of partner, a companion ministry called Claim Your Campus. And I got to speak with those people as well. And so anyway, if you'll go back into the archives of the Prayer Clinic podcast, you can pull those up and just um, really enjoy learning about the ministries and maybe even be inspired in how you might can help promote those in amongst your church and amongst your, uh, especially your youth group. So maybe share those podcasts with your youth pastors at your church. It's an, it's an important time of year and it's a great, it's a great season for us to really dedicate ourselves to praying about what's going on in our public school campuses, on our private school campuses, in these hybrid school um, campuses, and then on all of those campuses that are happening at homes and then through the co-ops and all the various ways that children are being educated today. It's such, such, such an important part of their lives. And for the Lord and His purposes to prevail in their midst is just Mm. It'll change the world. He will change the world when we're inviting him to be a part of our kids' schools. But with all of that said, I want you to know that right now this year, I'm going to talk to you over these next few weeks about how we can pray and not doubt. And um, this first particular episode that I'm about to share with you is a straight up teaching that I just shared with a group of people. Well, I've actually shared it twice this month as I've been uh, training prayer clinic teams and prayer ministry teams. And I want you to know that I'd be happy to come and train your prayer team or um, come and speak to your people, encourage them to pray. I have so many resources related to prayer. One of the main ones is a four-week study called Teach My Heart to Pray. And this four-week study is, of course, a part of the prayer clinic uh, starter starter kit. If you're interested in learning how to open a whole prayer clinic ministry, which I highly recommend, it's a beautiful way to have your people consistently, effectively, faithfully, um, and with a team praying over your church. The prayer clinic ministry's heartbeat is to mobilize your church to pray. And so the four-week study, Teach My Heart to Pray, is a part of that. It's actually the stepping on part of the prayer clinic ministry. But the four-week study is also a standalone product that you can purchase on my online uh, bookstore, and that is at prayerclinic.com. And September, October, November, all of these months are great months to be teaching your people to pray. 
And you, it is not hard to do that. You can teach your people to pray in four weeks using the study, Teach My Heart to Pray. In fact, I'm going to start teaching this study, um, hopefully all the time at Thompson Station Church, because we've just gotten it stirring in our hearts that we want every one of our church members to know how to pray. And so God has promised us a great big old thing that he'll do if we're, if his people are praying, if my people pray, they turn from their wicked ways, seek my face and um, come before me and pray, then I will heal their land. So my friends, um, many people are working very hard and spending a whole lot of money thinking that the right people in the right spots in Washington, D.C. are going to heal our land. But we already know who and what's going to heal our land, God's told us. And so um, I'm working in the prayer area of things because I think that's the place that things are really going to happen. So anyway, with um, nothing further said, I guess I'll let you get into this episode. I um, and, and you'll have several. I don't know how many, maybe two or three or four. We might talk about how important it is to have faith and how um, easy it really is not that hard to trust God. He's God and he's got this. Hello, my praying people. I just returned from visiting one of our churches where our prayer clinic ministry is thriving, and I shared with them um, a lesson, I guess we could call it a lesson, that really centers around how we can pray the promises of God like we believe them. And I thought that I might, um, over these next couple of weeks, talk about how our faith impacts um, the answers to our prayers. And so I'm going to start by sharing with you all the same message that I shared with uh, the folks down there at Indian Rocks Baptist Church in Largo, Florida. And a shout out to Teresa Nardozzi and Tony, her um, administrator, our director and administrator at our clinic there. But right now I want to talk to you about how we can pray the promises of God like we believe them, and really more than that, how we can pray the promise of God, promises of God actually believing them. As some of you know, the prayer clinic ministry has one prayer strategy. It's not complicated. And our one prayer strategy is to pray God's word over every single prayer request that comes in to our clinic So when people come to us for prayer, they have various needs, all kinds of burdens and crises that they're going through. And what we seek to do as we circle up together and pray with them is to pray scripture into the circumstances that are going on in their lives. We give our people scripture prayer cards, and in that way, they can go home and continue praying scripture over what's going on in their lives. And then often we add to those Bible verses and scripture prayers, we'll add other Bible verses that come to our mind, and we'll jot them down on our little prescription pads that are left with unlimited refills by the great physician. And so when a person leaves the prayer clinic, after being able to be prayed with, having scripture, the truth poured into them, we give them a little uh, bracelet that they can wear on their arm that simply says, God's got this. And in this way, we want them and us to be reminded that God is faithful and that he watches over his word to perform it. In fact, 
That is Jeremiah 1.12, and that verse is printed at the bottom or at the end of every one of our scripture prayer cards. All of this is the easy part. It's as easy as using the tools that we've created in the prayer clinic ministry and then handing those tools to the people who are wanting help in praying through to God's answer to their heart's cry. The hard part is trusting God to do what he's promised he will do, especially when it seems like it takes forever to see him answer our prayers. And a key component of the prayer clinic ministry is praying and staying with people until God answers their prayers. So a huge part of our ministry is helping people understand how to grow in their faith and how to increase in the effectiveness of their prayer lives while they're waiting on God's answers to come. So what I'm going to share with you in this um, podcast is how the character of God impacts the promises that he makes and how the promises of God declare his presence. And then I'm going to talk to you about how to take God's promises and make them work for you and for the people that you are praying with. And um, I'll close out our time today by sharing with you how you can know when God's kept his promise to you. All of what I'm about to teach you is really just the skeleton structure of a four-session online course that I'm developing right now and that will be available um, probably late September. These online courses that I create are all um, designed to be used as tools to help you grow in your prayer life and to help you grow in your faith. And all of these courses come free to our prayer clinic churches. In other words, our prayer clinic churches, when they um, become a part of our ministry, they not only have discounts on all of the resources that they might want to purchase from us to help make their prayer clinic work, but they also receive free these online courses that I develop periodically throughout the year, and they can share these courses, these online training kind of modules with all of the team members that are praying with them. So I want to share one quick thing with you, and that is if your prayer ministry could really use some training, some ongoing development, if your ministry could would like to have more of a team approach to what's going on, then I want to invite you to check out the prayer clinic ministry at prayerclinic.com. And let me uh, share with you how the prayer clinic ministry works. When you go to the website, you can jump right on to a virtual open house where you can literally watch our prayer clinic at Thompson Station Church in Thompson Station, Tennessee, operate. You can hear from some of our team members and um, together I can connect with you and we can get the prayer clinic ministry started at your church. Now, for those of you who may have great and vibrant prayer ministries and you're up and running, you're good, but you are interested in the online courses, those also um, can be purchased individually, and you can find those as well on the Prayer Clinic website. So I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to jump in and share with you the message I shared this past week at Indian Rocks Baptist Church. Father, I thank you so much that we have the opportunity, not just the opportunity, but the grand invitation from your heart to allow us 
to enter into the throne room, the very throne room where you and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, y'all, the three in oneness of you sit and dwell and rule and reign. And you tell us not only to come in, but to come in boldly and to give you our requests so that you then in return can can work out your purposes, your um, pleasure on the platform of our lives. And God, I pray that right now, whoever is listening to this podcast would be encouraged to know that um, our prayer lives are, are um, meant to be dynamic and powerful. And when we pray, you are indeed delivering answers even as we're praying them. So thank you, Lord, for being a God who answers our prayers and open our ears and our hearts and our minds to understand what it is that you have to show us today. It's in Jesus' precious and powerful name I pray. Amen. First, I want to share with you how the character of God impacts the promises of God. Andrew Murray said this, and I'll put this quote in our show notes. He said this, There is something more necessary than the effort to exercise faith in each separate promise that comes to our attention. That is the cultivation of a trustful attitude toward God, the habit of always thinking of Him, of His ways and of His works, with bright, confident hopefulness. In such soil alone, the individual promises take root and grow up. You see, my friends, Andrew Murray was spot on. The character of God matters. For a person's character impacts the believability of their words. Have you ever noticed that we have a whole lot more um, content in the Old Testament than we do in the New? Well, a big piece, I believe, of uh, or a reason why we have so much in the Old Testament is because the Old Testament spans 1,100 years. It's written from uh, by many different authors that from various walks of life. And every bit of the Old Testament reveals God to us. Um, and, and because we're able to see the revelation of God, the person of God, and by how he interacts with his people, with his own created and designated people, then we're able to understand or get to know his character. If you read the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, you can begin to understand how God behaves in um, various situations. It is indeed true that our actions speak louder than our words. And so also our actions give meaning to our words. And as we read the Old Testament, even just the Old Testament, we recognize these four amazing character traits related to God. God is faithful. He is honest. He is reliable. And he's certain to do what he says he will do. No matter how many odds are stacked against him or how challenging the situation might seem to be, God always keeps his promises. Think about Abraham. Abraham with infertility as a major issue in his life, had one overarching promise from God, and that is that he would be the father of nations. Then consider, and sure enough, he was, right? Consider Joseph. Joseph, who at a young age knew that he was destined for greatness, but then spent much of his young life um, in a dungeon But from the depths of that dungeon, Joseph rose up to be second in charge and play a vital role in Israel's history. 
And then, of course, we could go through all of these Old Testament characters. Moses, whose life was spared simply because his mother put him in a basket, reared in the Pharaoh's home, and then called by God to set the people free. Then there's David and Jehoshaphat and Ezekiel and Elijah. And we could even talk about the women, Deborah and Ruth and Esther, and the list could go on and on. Or you could even think about the prophecies that were presented in the Old Testament and then fulfilled in the life of Jesus in the New Testament. Did you know that there are 300 prophecies written by different people from different vocations at different times spanning those 1,100 years? And how many of those prophecies did Jesus fulfill? Well, every one of them. In fact, there's an illustration you might have heard before, and I'm going to share it with you here. A guy named Peter Stoner, who was the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena College, he looked at eight specific prophecies about Jesus, and together with some of his students, he considered the mathematical likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all eight of those prophecies. The conclusion of their research was staggering. The prospect that anyone would satisfy those eight prophecies was just one in 10 to the 17th power in science speak. Stoner described his findings like this. If you mark one of 10 tickets and place all the tickets in a hat, thoroughly stir them, and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one out, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in 10. But then suppose you take 10 to the 17th power, silver dollars, and you lay them on the face of Texas, they would cover the whole state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars, stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state, blindfold a man, and tell him that he can travel as far as he wants, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say it's the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote using their own wisdom. (laughs) But you see, the kicker is, Jesus didn't just fulfill eight prophecies about himself. He fulfilled 300. Every prophecy that was written about him, Jesus fulfilled. This tells me that those men did not write using their own wisdom. They were endowed by insight and discernment and understanding from the God who knows everything. And from this, we can surmise that the character of God is faithful. He is honest. He is reliable. And he is certain to do what he says he will do. Now, let me talk to you about how the promises of God declare the presence of God. There's a verse in the Psalms that has changed everything for me. And that verse is Psalm 37, 23. In the New Living Translation, this is how it reads. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. You see, the the promises that God has given us are meant for us to take hold of and wrestle with and get our fingerprints all over. Those promises are meant for us to put to the test and to apply them to the stuff we have going on in our lives, to every detail in our lives. And this, my friends, is what we challenge people to do when they come to the prayer clinic for prayer. A guy named Richard Butcher 
wrote a book called The Promising God. And in his book, he wrote this, every promise God makes results in his intervening in your situation or circumstances, showing his love, presence, and power, revealing himself in your life, encountering you. When we pray the promises, we're inviting the presence and the power of God to enter into the details of our lives or the lives of others and to take control of those circumstances. You see, when you pray God's promises, you're trusting God to do what he knows best and to reveal himself to you and to those around you as he does that work. So how does this work? First, it's important to understand that God is eager to release and demonstrate his power on the earth. Consider two verses, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. Second Chronicles 16, 9 in the King James Version says, For the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over all the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. And then Jesus himself taught his disciples to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in Matthew 6, 10. Next, it's important to understand how the authority and power of God flow from heaven to earth. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he declared himself the victor. His death and on the cross and his resurrection from the dead won the war between God and the fallen angel, Lucifer, or Satan. In Colossians 2.15, Jesus is, uh, referred to his death on the cross and how its defeat of the powers of darkness actually made a public spectacle of them, of the powers of darkness, demonstrating the, his victory over Satan and his demons. I want to pause right here and share something I did not share this past weekend, but is um, something I love to share when I talk about the truth of Colossians 2.15. Colossians 2.15 basically says that Jesus makes a public spectacle out of Satan and all of his demonic forces. And so I went, Tom and I got to go to Rome and we got to be in what um, the old, the forum where there are ruins of the old way that the Roman uh, civilization functioned in the first century. And in the forum, we were told that when Rome would go out and conquer the world and they would conquer all of the other nations all around them, they would save the uh, leaders of those nations, the kings, and maybe even the prisoners of war would come back with them. And then they would have these elaborate parades that would be marching down the streets in that forum. And all the people in Rome would gather around to watch. And in these parades, they would reenact the highlights of the battles that won whatever that war was. Uh, they would, on these floats, they would just re have these reenactments. And the people would love this because in this way, they got to participate in the victory that they had won. Following the floats in the parade would be all the captives. It would be the king, the defeated kings and leaders of the nations, and then these prisoners of war. 
Many times they would cut the toes off of these kings so that they were crippled and couldn't keep their balance. So they would stumble through the streets being humiliated by this. And then in great um, fanfare and lots of cheering and jeering, they would kill these leaders of their fallen nation publicly. And then they would further humiliate the captives, either the prisoners of war, either by killing them or stripping them bare and um, eventually turning them into slaves, sending them to the slave market where the people themselves could purchase them and then um, have them serve them in their own homes. And so the whole thing just makes your skin crawl when you think about the humiliation of the defeated warriors uh, as they had to be paraded through the streets of Rome. Well, this is exactly what the people were familiar with when Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 was written. So when Jesus is making a public spectacle, he's showing how thoroughly defeated Satan and all of his demons are and how thorough his victory was for us on the cross. Nevertheless, we know today that Satan is a sore loser and he continues to mess with us. And so life for us as children of God is a continual battle. And what is what are we battling for? We are battling to stand firm on the promises of God so that we might penetrate all of the arguments, all of the reasons not to believe, and all of the pretensions, all of the imaginations, or even those things that look to be real that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? The knowledge of God is what God knows. And God would never say something is going to happen if he knew it wasn't going to happen. He doesn't mess with us like that. And so, my friends, this is what we do in the prayer clinic ministry or in any intercessory ministry that we're involved in. At our church, I like to call our prayer clinic team the Delta Force prayer team of the church. You know, we have a whole lot of other prayer ministries, but this team that goes to battle in the details of our people's lives, inviting God to exercise his rule and his reign to come into those circumstances and demonstrate what only he can do. This is where we're showing everyone in our congregation and our community what God's capable of and what he is desiring to do in and among us. So we're going to spiritual battle to disarm the powers of darkness, to demolish the strongholds, and to usher in the unstoppable, powerful flow of God's power in our lives. Now, let me talk about how to take God's promises and make them work for you and for others. There's really three steps to making the promises work for you and for those people that you're praying with. Step one. Embrace an all-or-nothing mindset. And because I'm doing some teaching today, in my show notes, I will write out the outline so that you can have it if you want to have this and share it maybe the next time somebody invites you to come teach on prayer. So anyway, we're, we're talking about three steps in how to take God's promises and make them work for you. And step one is embrace an all-or-nothing mindset. George Mueller had an all-or-nothing mindset. He was saved at 25 after living a colorful life of debauchery, he experienced a slow and steady transformation. And over the course of several years, George gave up his old way of living and became a pastor, a missionary, and an orphanage builder. Of course, George Mueller is best known for the orphanages that he built. 
But did you know that his primary purpose for going into the orphanage ministry was to create a living illustration of what could happen when we pray? Listen to what he said about this. George Mueller said, My spirit was often burdened by observing such Christians' lack of faith, and I longed to set something before these children of God so that they might see that God does not forsake, even in our day, those who rely upon him. The children of God that Mueller was referring to were businessmen that he met with. One biographer wrote this about Mueller and his all-or-nothing mindset. He learned early on that only a life of prayer and meditation will render a vessel ready for the master's use. He learned that without God's blessing, direction, and presence, he could accomplish nothing. But through relying on God, he could claim the promise from Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The first step to making God's promises, my friends, work for you and for those you're praying with is to embrace brace an all-or-nothing mindset. Like the psalmist, we can exclaim, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. That's Psalm 73.25. So step one is to have an all-or-nothing mindset. Step two, be surrendered and satisfied. Here's a definition for surrender. Cease resistance and submit to authority. My favorite hymn growing up was I Surrender All. And that was kind of ironic because I have to confess that there are many times I am so reluctant to surrender all. Surrendering those things that are breaking our hearts is hard. And most often, it's those things that are breaking our hearts that compel people to come to us in the prayer clinic ministry, that will that compel people to be hungry for God and what only God can do through prayer. And although it is hard, God longs for us to surrender our logic, our reasoning, projecting, and especially our feelings to him in a world that today says if it feel good if it feels good do it or allow your feelings to show you the way or seek inside of yourself and your inner intuition will show you the direction you must go all of that all of what i just said are lies straight out of the pit of hell to keep you from connecting with the lord god almighty who genuinely has the path laid out for you the path toward abundance and peace and prosperity in the things that matter. But although it's hard to surrender, God longs for us to do so. He wants us to trust that he has the best plans, that he has the power to implement them, and that he knows exactly when to do what, and he knows what to do, when, so that his purposes prevail for both our good and his glory. To be satisfied in surrender is to shout amen or so be it to the glory of God on this side of our answered prayers, on the unanswered side of our answered prayers. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says it like this, For no matter how many promises God has made, They are yes in Christ. And so through him, 
the amen or the so be it is spoken by us to the glory of God. You see, we give God glory when we prove our faith by shouting with confident victory, so be it. It's almost walking about with an attitude of, I just can't wait. Not in a way that says, oh, is it ever going to happen? But in a way that says, oh, it's coming just as sure as Christmas morning. It's hard to wait because it's going to be so good. But I know God's answers are coming. My friends, are you satisfied in surrender? Are you willing to lay your head on Jesus' shoulder, so to speak, and just rest Trusting him even if and when he isn't seemingly doing anything for you? (laughs) This, my friends, is perhaps one of the greatest truths we are trusted to share with the people that we pray with. Step three, one was embrace an all or nothing mindset. Two is to be surrendered and satisfied. Three is to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. The thing about not having gratitude is that it originates deep inside a dark corner of your spirit that echoes the lie the serpent uses with Eve in the garden. God's holding out on you. Look at what he's not giving you. There's more and you're missing out. When we live our lives focused on the hard stuff, I mean the pain and the absence of God, we live seeing the pain and the absence of God. And who wants to live like that? If instead we focus our minds on what God is doing for us, like waking you up each morning, providing food to eat and air to breathe, breathe, giving you friends and sonic eyes and air conditioning and s'mores, <laughs> or I might say warm fireplaces and snuggly blankets and, and, um, and uh, sweet times together with friends if it were not summer when I'm teaching this. My friends, when we cultivate an attitude of gratitude, our eyes are opened to how God's promises fit into our lives. We begin to see what God is already doing, and we fuel our faith regarding what he's about to be doing. And finally, I want to wrap this up by sharing with you how to know when God's kept his promise to you. I I had prepared something different at this point of my message. But while I was in Largo, Florida, and um, spending some sweet time with the people there and and actually got to meet up with some friends of mine, uh, Willie and Cheryl Rice, Brent and Melody Reeves, who had not seen. And Willie reminded us it was not 30 years, but going closely to 40 years ago when we were in college. Whoa. But during that time, and, and as I was spent a few days down there in their neck of the woods, so to say, I was thinking about this part of my message. How do we know when God's kept his promise to us? And I realized this truth. God kept his promise to you the minute he made it. Do you believe God is omniscient? I do. Being God, he knows all things. Do you believe God is omnipotent? I do. Being God, he's able to do all things. The God who knows everything about everything and the God who can do anything about anything 
certainly knows what promises to make when, as well as how and when they apply to our lives. Remember Psalm thirty-seven twenty-three: The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. God doesn't heckle you. God doesn't mess with you. Instead, God challenges you to take the promises he's given you and to hold fast to them. But not only holding on to the promise, but maybe even allowing that promise to wrap you tightly to him. God himself promises to keep his promises. Consider these verses, Psalm 145, 13. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. Joshua 21, 45. Not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Lamentations 2, 17a. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And Jeremiah 1, 12, the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The verse that we have included on every one of our prayer clinic scripture prayer cards. So my friends, let's not just pray for our people. Let's pray with confidence knowing that he who promised is faithful. God's got this.